thorny as we venture into the R&R, two truths are consistent. We love our dear Montana state and we love great beer. And you know who else feels the same? Jeremiah Johnson Brewing. Brewed in the heart of Montana in downtown Great Falls, Jeremiah Johnson takes Montana's finest ingredients to craft some of Montana's favorite beers. And now, Jeremiah Johnson's second tap room is open in downtown Coeur d'Alene. Their Citra IPA is probably one of my favorites, but we all know, Thorny, you're not the hop lover I am. You're more of a mountain man scotch ale. Well, Foley, I'm certainly not a mountain man, but you are right. I do love their mountain man scotch ale. But come game day, you and I are both cracking their golden bobcat pale ale. So when you're looking for a quality craft beer brewed with Montana roots, a relaxing tap room, or just a six-pack to take to your favorite bobcat tailgate, Jeremiah Johnson delivers. Make your next beer a Jeremiah Johnson, and as always, go Cats! Welcome everybody to the RNR Catcast, a fan-based podcast focusing on Montana State athletics. We're two dudes named Ryan from the state of Washington talking about our dear Montana State. We hope you enjoy. Alright, welcome back, Bobcat fans, and thanks for joining us on another episode of the RNR Catcast. My name is Ryan Foley. My good buddies, Ryan Thornburg. We are your hosts. We are your Ryans. We are the Big Sky Podcast Network, the Montana State affiliate of the Big Sky Podcast Network, and we are brought to you by Jeremiah Johnson Brewing, brewing great beers in downtown Great Falls with a second tap room over in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Thorny, we're here to talk about the Eastern Washington game and preview the Idaho matchup in Bozeman, the sold-out Idaho matchup in Bozeman. That is huge. First, buddy, how are you doing? Doing good, man. I had a full day of actual meetings in the office. I work remotely. I actually had to drive down and interact with the uh, co-workers today. So I had a long day. Didn't get to spend much time um, consuming any Bobcat content today, which is a bummer after the biggest one we've had in a while. But uh, man, I'm doing good. I'm excited to actually dive deep into this after our brief little After Dark episode on Saturday. So I'm excited. How you doing? You're going to dive deep into it, huh? Mm-hmm. Put on that uh Some might say you snorkel. might take a deep dive. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Subterranean. <laughs> Jeez. Right into that. Man. All right. If you don't know, you don't know. Don't worry would... about it. Don't don't even worry about what we just said. Yeah. I, uh, I always have a hard time picturing you working. I really don't know what you do after all these years still. so I'm basically um, like George Costanza uh, in Seinfeld, where no one just actually knows what I do. And that's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I see you got a haircut. You trimmed your beard. You're looking pretty yes. dapper over there. Yes, I do have coworkers and bosses like everyone else. <laughs> you put on a shirt tonight, and that looks good. <laughs> well, this isn't what I wore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad you're wearing a shirt. Let's be honest. Yeah, about half the time. All right. Not. <laughs> well, thanks, guys, for uh, joining us again. We always appreciate the listens. Uh, We'll do a little rundown of tonight's show. We're going to go into the news. We're going to talk a little bit about Troy Anderson and Bryce Lee and give them Big Sky Players of the Week. Good for them. Talk about the Big Sky Podcast Power Rankings. The FCS stats poll that came out. We'll get into the Eastern Washington game again. And I say again because we do the R&R After Dark, the the gut take uh, episode on Saturday night. And so check that out if you're looking for some other solid talk that Tony and I do if you're looking for you know just some bobcat content on Sunday I know we all are after a big win so that's always fun but uh Tony want to talk a little bit about the the preseason predictions he's pretty proud of himself over there so we'll touch (laughs) on that uh we'll do some Idaho preview and then get into the golden coolies so that's uh that's a show and a half right there first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about what's in our golden coolies though all right well so a funny story. I got a little story about this one here, and uh, it's not as funny because I ruined it. So anyway, to the beginning, <laughs> Boston Bobcat pointed out on Twitter, our last week's episode for the Eastern Washington preview game, we were both drinking Washington beers. I don't, I don't know if you caught that on Twitter. He's like, you guys both drinking Washington huh. beers when we're playing a team from Washington? I was like, oh man, is that is that bad? Is that bad? So I made a point <laughs> during the game to specifically choose beers that are going to help us win. I only had two Bozeman beers left in my fridge. I had two Bozone Ambers, which I drank promptly in the first by the end of the first half. But clearly, it was working. 
So I, I made sure when I went back to get a new beer, not to drink any of my Washington beers. I'm like, oh, Matt Boston Bobcat's got a point here. So I made sure I drank some Jeremiah Johnson. I drank good old Montana beers and we won. So then I was like, all right, well, so f- to pick out a beer for tonight, I'm going to go get a Washington beer. Get right back to it with a name that speaks to me. And I found a really good one. But I came home uh, after I picked it up on the way back from my out of uh, home office visit. <laughs> and I forgot to refrigerate it. So it just sat there for hours. So I didn't want to drink that. I didn't want to waste it. So we'll use that for something else. But I did have a right. Mac and Jack's amber in my fridge, which is a Washington beer, one of my favorite ambers. So that's what I got right now. So long story short, I was going to have a funny Washington beer, but I forgot to refrigerate it. So <laughs> still still a good beer, man. I, I love Mac and Jack's. For you know, I really feel bad for people who have never had a Mac and Jack's. It is one it of the is best elite, beers man. out there. It is one of the best beers there is. Not just the best ambers, like one of my favorite just Probably top five, top 10 beers. And not traditional amber. It's something different. It's just unique in itself. Yep. For sure. Glad they started canning it. <laughs> yeah. That was one good thing that came out of the quarantine for sure. All right. Uh, my wife, God bless her. Uh, she went out Sunday night or Saturday night. And uh, I was like, hey, would you pick up some beer? We don't have any beer. And I was like, Get some good beer and then get some garage beer. And she got me some garage beer and she got me some Coors Original. So I'm drinking banquet beer tonight. I mean, that's always a solid choice. I was actually pretty close to buying some High Life just for that kind of similar reason. But yeah, good choice. Always a good choice. The banquet beer. That's a good celebration beer. I'm surprised you didn't pick your Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which is your kind of your typical celebration beer. Well, it wasn't my choice. She bought it. So. Fair enough. I just assumed you always had that in your fridge. <laughs> well, there's seasons of that for sure. Hey, uh, Thorny, what were you wearing during the Bobcat game? Because I think we <laughs> should all remember kind of the, the specific outfits we had, how we tied our shoes that day, everything about that day. <laughs> so the last few years, I've been kind of rocking this tradition where I'll wear the gold rush shirt until we lose. But I, I also didn't wear it during the Weber game. I wore a brand new Bobcat shirt. And I remember specifically talking about it on the podcast. Like I'm wearing a new shirt because we're turning over a new leaf. <laughs> These are all such important <laughs> things to help te- teams win. Everyone's out there is agreement <laughs> with me. Oh my god! But I put I took back and I put on my old Gold Rush shirt. Um, by the way, a key a key to this to, the, to this puzzle here is I don't wash it until we lose either. So uh, it gets probably Ooh. pretty ripe, I imagine. But that's all part of the charm. I don't wear it any time for that's game dedication. Days, though, but I get nervous, so who knows? Who knows what it smells like? Um, <laughs> but I, that's what I wore. I wore that and uh, drank some Bobcat or some Bozeman beer. I think uh, clearly I was a part of the winning effort. How about you? What were you wearing? <laughs> I had a Montana State shirt that I've had since probably 2005. Just a thick cotton montana state blue shirt uh wore my montana state boxers <laughs> and flew my montana state flag my second montana state flag and my wife had taken that flag down earlier in the week mm. and I, I chastised her she's like what doesn't look good with our new paint job on the house and i said but it's it's a big game week we have to have it out there so i made and once sure everything up, was take it down Exactly, man. Exactly. She doesn't understand this. So, anyways, I would love to hear uh, our listeners' traditions or superstitions that they have. Yeah. I, I, I like to go down that road. That'd be fun. To, that would be fun. To, um, We've been toying around with right. the idea of people like submitting like a voicemails or something. That could be a good candidate for that. At some point, we'll get there. Yeah, not a bad idea. All right, let's go into the news. Big news this week, Troy Anderson finally got Big Sky Player of the Week. Well, you're going to have to talk about it because I don't have it in front of me. So <laughs> Awesome for him. All I don't right. have the stats in front of me, though. He played like a, I mean, he tracked down Barry A like it was his job because, you know, it is his job. But he did a great job. Okay, so I do have the little info on it here. He had 15 tackles, two pass breakups, one tackle for a loss. And one missed pick six. So <laughs> Troy Anderson, Big Sky Player of the Week. Good job, Troy. We also had a second one on the team, Bryce Layton. He probably had 
as Brent Vegan said, one of the best plays of the game, the best game of the play, or <laughs> best game of the play, play of the game, pinning the Eastern Eagles in uh, yeah. the fourth quarter so inside the five. Clutch. So oh, clutch. man. That was a beautiful punt. Wow. Best punt of his so, career. Good job for both those boys. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you look at the, at the Anderson stats there. They don't really jump off the page to you. Uh, 15 or, I thought it was 16 when I read it yesterday, but yeah, 15 tackles is a lot of tackles, but not a lot of like extra stuff like forced fumbles or any of that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, they have to probably reward the competition, what he's able to do against like the best offense in the country. So uh, the bummer part is, and we talked about this on the After Dark episode, the, the Big Sky Offensive Player of the Week did go to, uh, Rashawn Johnson, or is that his name? I don't remember. The Idaho running back who scored six touchdowns. Yeah. He did end up winning, it, which is which is fair, but just a bummer for Fonzie to get kind of outshined in the most impactful game of the week. Should have had it. Should have had week. six touchdowns. though. that's pretty. That's pretty <laughs> legit. That's legit. <laughs> what does uh, Afonso have? Eight for the year now. I think <laughs> eight or nine. So the guy basically had as many as Afonso's had in the first. Seven weeks of the season in one game, but against yeah, but you only have three hundred. He only has three hundred seventy-five yards of total rushing, <laughs> and one hundred seventy-five of that was Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Now nah, whatever. Okay. They, I don't so need the win. news. Uh, there's no injury news that we heard. That's one thing that just continues to amaze me, Ryan. It was one thing I just wanted to talk about just shortly is how healthy we've stayed. This entire year compared to other teams, when you look across the divide and look at Montana, they've had injury troubles all season long. Montana state has, you know, I don't know if it's luck. Maybe it's just, uh, Sean Heron and his, uh, approach to training the guys we've done. We've done really well as far as injuries go. Part of that could be all the blowouts we were able to put together in the first half of the season, get guys rested up. I mean, we're, we're banged up like anyone else. We got guys out there with like the hand casts and, braces on the knees and all that stuff but they're in the game like a lot of our teams guys aren't even playing so yeah we're we're healthy and knock on wood let's keep that keep that um, going all right okay moving on let's talk about the big sky power big sky podcast power rankings i didn't see the final tallies that came out i it never came out i just checked uh hasn't been released of course yet. it didn't did you vote probably the one yeah okay you did vote probably the one time msu is number one <laughs> The polls, although I was in as you number one, I last think we week. were I think one they last probably week were. as well. Yeah, anyways. Uh, so I, I put MSU first, Eastern second, SAC third, UC Davis, uh, fourth, uh, the Grizzlies fifth, and Portland State sixth. I put Weaver seventh, and so yeah. I'll just stop right there. Yeah, Weaver's got to drop out of that top six group there for sure. Um, I didn't vote. I like I said, I, I before we started recording, I had it up, I was like filling it in, and I got pulled away from the computer and I never came back to finish it off, unfortunately. But would have put Bobcats number one. Number two would have been tricky. I may have put in Sack, and then I probably would have put Eastern. Then I probably would have put Davis, and then I would have put the Grizz and Portland State and Weber. That's probably what I've ended up at. We could do a whole podcast on what's going to happen in the big sky. I want to talk just a little bit about Davis. Davis has two two games coming up, Eastern and Sack to end the, the year. Uh, Davis is, I think they're eight and one as well, aren't they? I feel like Davis is a lot like the Bobcats were, except they lost their game that would have solidified people's belief in them. They lost that game to Idaho State, but what else have they done but beat every single other team, and including their FBS team? I don't feel like they're getting mm-hmm. any credit at this point. Yeah. Davis is weird because they always feel like they're like in a different conference, like Big Sky Sub B yeah. than the yeah, than one that, we yeah. play in. It's uh, it's like they played the Southern Utahs of the world all the time. They'll get the bottom half of the schedule for Montana State, the Idaho States. I mean, in the Idaho schools, we'll we'll get the traditional powers. There's definitely the the bottom half. There's those teams that always get just sucked together. Davis is in that to me. Well, they just haven't had any of the big like marquee matchups this year or this year no. yet either. So it's hard to you haven't been able to watch them like sit down and watch them like the beat Weaver. But other than that, they haven't played anybody. They'll finish it off with Eastern oh, and Sac. But other than that, yeah, it's been a just a quiet eight and one over there in Davis. Yeah. Well, Weber dropped out of the top twenty-five today for the very very first time. I would I'd be interested to see how many weeks they were in the top twenty-five. 
it's always kind of a moment when when you sneak out of the back end. So let's talk about that. Uh, the FCS stats uh, top twenty five right now. Montana State is number three in the nation. We have the number three team in the country. Montana State Bobcats jumped up from number four, sitting behind Sam Houston State and James Madison. Number four is South Dakota State. Number five is North Dakota State after their loss to South Dakota State. UC Davis comes in at number six. They were at number eight. Eastern Washington dropped down to number seven. Villanova, number eight. Number nine, Montana. They were at 11. And that is your top 10, essentially. Kennesaw State is at 10. Sac State's at 12. They were at 16. So they hit some. uh, They hit a couple big jumps. There's quite a few teams in the top 25 that lost. So that does make sense. And I'm looking down. I believe that is it for the big sky. Yeah, there was a big upset Saturday. Lots of lots of top 25 teams went down, which uh, benefits the Bobcats, benefits the grid, benefits all the big sky teams that took care of business. You stay us up to number six now. This is huge. Montana State being number three. If we win the next two games, sitting at 10 and one. I'm pretty sure we are going to have the number two lockdown seed going into the playoffs. That would make sure we would have Bozeman being Bozeman until the championship game if we were to make it. I mean, that's what we've talked about, right? Like that was, how do you get to Frisco? Well, you don't go to Fargo. That's your easiest (laughs) way to do that. And the only way to do that is to be seated higher than them or that one of the top two seeds. And yeah, if the Bobcats are able to win out, we're in that conversation right there with James Madison, who presumably is also going to win out. Both of those teams would be 10 and 1, so it'd be real um, tight between those two. But I think the Bobcats probably would have the edge in there. So, I mean, we could do a whole playoff prediction thing. I don't really want to deep di- <laughs> dang it. I don't want to dive too deep into this. Um, <laughs> I, I said that without even joking about it because it is a phrase that I've used in my life before this whole joke started. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't want to <laughs> jinx anything here. We still got two big games left to play. But uh, yeah, the Cats do have the inside track to that potential two seed. Well, the Cats, uh, with that win against Eastern, we showed up a spot in the playoffs no True. matter what. Yep. We're if playing we win next. Yeah, if we win this week, I would have to believe the Montana State Bobcats have a seed as well. I agree. All right. All right, let's get right into the Eastern game. Look at us being all timely. 17 minutes in. We're, thinking, we're already talking about Eastern. We forgot their recruit, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's worth mentioning. Forgot him. I didn't pull up his name. Did you get it? Tommy Nilsson out go. of Hellgate. 6'4", old offensive line, defensive lineman, 255. Don't know anything else about him. Just, uh, just another Montana kid with a big frame, long body. That's what we like. We'll put some weight on him. He's going to be a nasty kid for us. Let's get him in, get him tough, get him indoctrinated into the culture. It looks like he uh, committed shortly right after the offer came in, both offers from Montana and Montana State. I mean, that's an easy choice right there. If you get a kid who had an offer from both schools, even if one's a full and one's a half, and who's from Missoula, I mean, you're you're winning. That's always a good good pull right there. I don't know, I don't know much about him, but... Yeah, if, if if both programs offered him, he's got to be pretty good. Nice. Welcome to Bozeman. Go Cats. <laughs> so, now we can talk about Eastern. Let's do it, buddy. What a game. What hey, a game. First question. First question. It's the one, it's one of our Golden Cooley questions too, so let me pull that up right now. It was talked about a little bit in our R&R After Dark. This one comes from Bloom Gold Blitz. He says, you guys kind of went into it in our last pod, but I'll spin it. I'll put a spin on it. This win is the biggest win for the Bobcats football since dot, dot, dot. So before we answer that question, do you want me to do the stats or was she going to answer this question and then kind of do our normal stat run here? I'm fine well, either let's way. Let's just answer this question. Answer it, and already got do it going. Stats. I yeah. mean, I, I, I'm going to have to say well, since the Cactus last year, it's easy. It's, it's kind of funny. At this point, what Cho was able to accomplish against the Grizz, you can almost just dismiss those as games on their own or, or kind of put – compartmentalized cat grizz games on their own, but they were like the number three team in the country last year. Yeah, and that gave us, uh, 
I don't know, we may have been a, a seed bubble team last year. I don't know. We ended up like with the six seed or the five seed. I don't, I don't know what it was, but it was a huge game in boosting our our playoff hopes last year. It was a big win and it bumped the Grizz down. It was had huge implications. It was a it was a huge win. And if, if that was any other team, you'd be you'd be without a doubt saying that as the game that mattered. If that was like uh, James Madison instead of the Grizz, you would totally be picking that game as the, the for this question. So I'm going to have to go with that one. So I'm going to play like kind of a caveat. Grizz's side, I think it's the biggest win since we beat Weber, the number 11 team Weber in 2009, 26-21 down in Ogden. We held, I think, Trevin Smith out of the end zone two times in a row in the last 30 seconds. Uh, Mikey Ryder, Jody Owens. I thought that was a big turning point for Rob Ash. Kind of just like, started catapulting that 2009, 2010, 2011 Bobcats from there. That's a huge win for us. Well, if I'm going to pick another game, so, then I'd probably pick the 2010 Eastern Washington where we beat them at 30 to seven in Bozeman. And then the year they went on to win the national championship and propelled the cast to their first like undefeated big side conference championship since like, uh, I don't know. I think Kramer shared Kramer shared some, but yeah, an outright championship, I think that year in 2010. So that would be, that'd be my pick. Cause that was a big showdown too. All right. Good question, Blue and Gold. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into some stats here real quick before we uh dive into this bad boy, huh? So you're gonna I'm gonna read the stats out here and you're gonna see kind of a theme. First of all, the Bobcats won the game twenty-three to twenty. Get that out of the way. We forget that half the time. So here's where things start painting a picture. Yeah. Bobcats had twenty-six first downs to the Eagles seventeen. Just seventeen for the Eagles. Woo-hoo. Cats, 6-12 on third down, not amazing. Eastern, 3-13. of 13. Great job on third down defense in that game. Uh, total yards, 544 for the Bobcats to 314. 230-yard <laughs> advantage by the Bobcats in this game. 253 passing yards for the Cats, 214 for the Eagles. Matt McKay outplayed, out-yardaged Eric Berrier, which I'm not, I don't know if anybody would have bet on that. Uh <laughs> there was the interception thrown by McKay, and McKay also did fumble the ball away, so McKay did have two total turnovers. So Cats were negative two in the turnover battle, which is just another crazy stat, and somehow the Bobcats were able to win this game. And we'll talk about this. It shouldn't have been 23 to 20. It should have been much, much worse. Cats, 291 yards on the ground, just 100 for the Eagles, and just three yards of carry, including Eric Berrier doing what he could do on the ground, which wasn't much. Six penalties for the Cats, five for the Eagles, and then here we are, time of possession, 36 minutes and 16 seconds for the Cats, which is one of the hugest, hugest, uh, one of the biggest keys to victory here was uh, keeping Berrier, the ball out of Berrier's hands, and there we are, possessing the ball for over 36 minutes. Um, Matt McKay ended up 17 of 30 for 253 yards. Of Isaiah Fonze, three, 32 carries, 217 yards and a touchdown, and Lance McKetchum, Five receptions, 150 yards, one touchdown. You took that from Bethany, did you? I did. Yeah, Bethany Cordell. I saw that. I was like, yeah, hey, I like that. I'm going to go with that. Shout out. <laughs> nice. I guess I'll finish it off here. Uh, Eric Berrier, 21 to 31 for only 214 yards. He did throw two inter- two touchdowns, but no interceptions. So an okay day by like an average quarterback standard. By, by an Eric Berrier standard, that's a, that's a real low output. Probably is, if not... I don't know. It, that could be his lowest output of his career. I know it has been in the season, if not last season too, but Dennis Merritt, a guy that we talked about, and I think we were both kind of wondering what kind of game he would have. He had 13 carries for just 45 yards and a touchdown. And Talilo Lumu Jones, six receptions, 94 yards and a touchdown. Pretty decent day from him. But overall, all those guys held in check way below their averages. Yeah. EB3 had two touchdowns within like six minutes early on in the first yeah. quarter. It was going to look pretty bad. And then we made an adjustment. Uh, when listening to Colton Nuanas today, he talked about how they bumped uh, Trey Anderson out in the slot, just covering the man, whatever the guy is coming up over the slot, like Lehman Jones or anybody. And just Troy's athleticism, being able to not necessarily shadow uh, EB3, but just having enough speed to cover him, keeping him in check. Uh, so... Uh, Troy Anderson was, uh, Coulter was giving Troy just tremendous appraise about being literally the difference maker in the defense for this game, whether Coulter's right or not. And I trust a lot of his, uh, his analysis, 
Uh, that's that's huge. I mean, we we really kept Eric Berry in check after the first quarter because after I mean, I I talked to you. I was like during the first quarter when uh, EB three was throwing those touchdowns. I was like, he's going to bury us here. This is it. Yeah, you were and, definitely and like a here we happened. go kind of mentality. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so we kind of. I mean, I think yeah, there was a stat like after the after the first quarter or after they scored their second touchdown, they had like thirty two yards in the next like 20 some minutes of play or something like that. I don't know. Something crazy. We held them in check for quite a bit. Yeah. Troy. Yeah. He's so good on defense. And another thing you don't really consider too, like if he's trailing a slot receiver or something like that, that's a big guy. Like, I think you're less likely to throw the ball. If you just see like a giant human near the receiver that you (laughs) are going to throw it to. So it's a big guy tracking him down. I mean, he's, he's taking, he's taking away options. He's taking, and then he'll break off that route once he sees the quarterback start to run, and he'll chase him down for a two yard gain. It's it's absolutely crazy to watch. I think we're finally seeing like the ceiling for Trey Anderson as a linebacker, and it's fantastic. Just elite speed, side to side. He can do it all. He can he can blitz. He can tackle. He can cover. That's amazing. I'm going to really miss Troy Anderson next year. Yeah, I'm going to miss Troy Anderson too. And uh, I want to talk real quick, right? We're talking about Troy Anderson. How good has Callahan O'Reilly been this year? He might be the single most underrated player in the entire Big Sky Conference. He's killing it, man. Like, we, we talked about this. Like, for the first probably six games, maybe five, he was the best linebacker on the field. He was the one of the best defenders on the field. Troy finally, like, I think he's got his feet under under him enough to maybe have surpassed him. But Callahan O'Reilly is playing at an extremely high level, and the Bobcats are not as good defensively if he's not playing how he is. So I just want to say huge shout out to Callahan O'Reilly. Yeah, he's been a solid man. I know early on in his uh, career, I remember a couple of couple of years ago, I was just like, he just uh, just one or two steps slow. He doesn't seem like that not anymore. anymore. And how much of that is Freddie Banks? Freddie Banks was on Coulter's show again. I'm giving Coulter a lot of playtime right now. Coulter was giving him his best one-two punch, trying to get him to say anything. And Freddie Banks was giving him the most the most coach speak I've ever heard in my entire life. Coulter is like, what were you doing to uh, slow down Eric Berrier? And uh, Freddie Banks is like, you know, we're just playing good. We're playing solid, playing fast. That's <laughs> what we got to do. Moving on to the next week. <laughs> It was so funny to listen to. I think our defense is is just playing just playing so well as a team. One thing that impresses me about our defense is we don't give up big plays because our guys just go to the ball. So, for instance, that Lemu Jones slant that he took for like 30, uh, 30 yards across across the field, and we just bumped him out of bounds. You know, if we if we're not flying to the ball, he's he's maybe taking that to the house. I mean, that's a touchdown right? against a lot of other teams in the conference. Exactly, the hustle, the energy, man, the cats are just bringing it. It's, it's been really fun to watch the cat D. Like we could do, you know, they deserve all the credit because, wow, I mean, they they're for real. They are legit for real defense. I thought. I thought there would be no way our defense would be better than we were last year. I think we are. They are. This, this I, is, I don't know if our defensive line is, is as good, but overall, I think we're better. The defensive line is like good in their own like different way than they were last year. Yeah. Um, but if you, I mean, if you look at this, Eastern Washington was scoring 50-some points a game. They scored 20 on us. Which is the highest total anyone scored on the Bobcats all year? We haven't given up three <laughs> touchdown traditional seven point touchdowns yet. Nine games into the season, how absolutely crazy is that statistic? Yeah, they are playing better than they did last year at any point during last year. We had a crazy stretch there at the end of the la- uh, we say last year, 2019, into the playoffs where we were just dominating teams. I think this is if at just as good, if not better. Overall, it's it's really fun to watch. They're fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, they are fun to watch. So what do you want to talk about in this game, Ryan? 
because we could we could go a couple different ways. We could talk about the keys to the game that we talked about last week. We could talk about anything, and we 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 should talk a little bit about Matt McKay. We should talk about just kind of our strategy that the ball control strategy that we employed on offense, the pluses and minuses of that. Where do you want to go? I want to talk about a few um, situations in the game that we when some decisions were made or things that happened. Um, first of all, I think you texted me. You weren't happy that we punted it at the end of the first half. Is that how that went down? I'm trying to remember now. Instead of like trying like to go down the score, like the we, punted, we punted with like 40 some odd seconds left, like fourth and two or something. Yeah. And I remember, I just remember so you texted me that you didn't agree a, with the punt. So I just think we had a 10 play drive going on and we punted. I don't know. So the, the, interesting that, that you talk about that. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the down and distance or what drive. Sure. But uh, yeah, we had one specific drive of 10 plays where we punted the ball. You don't go 10 plays and punt the ball. That's that's one of the things that I'm going to harp on a little bit. It's like this control offense that we had. We were just gashing and we had quite a few drives. We had four drives of seven plays or more that ended up no points because you know, in one of them being a six minute drive, 11 play drive with the interception at the end of it, seven play drives, eight play drives, 10 play drives that amounted to nothing. And if we're playing that kind of offense, man, we got to score because if we don't, Eastern hits a couple of big plays, then all of a sudden the script is flipped on us. So, Sorry, I kind of went on a little tangent right there about the punt, but I don't know. Like, if, if you got 10-plate drive going, you don't punt when you're on the 40. Keep it going. Yeah, you know, fair enough, but uh, I don't know. It ended up working out where I think Barry ended up taking a knee. I mean, they ran one play and got stuffed and just took a knee. So I was I was happy with it. Um, I just think it, it just goes to show the trust that Vegan had in his defense, how well the defense was playing. And I just, I remember being okay with it. I remember we just disagreeing about it. I just want to you know, kind of talk some scenarios on this. How, all right, if you were Aaron Best, would you have punted it on that final possession for Eastern Washington? So what happened oh, is man. they were on their own, I don't know, seven yard line. It was third and two or third and one. And Sebastian Valdez tracks down the Ooh. running back from the other side of the field, tackles him behind the line of scrimmage for like a one yard loss. Aaron Best elects to punt the ball from his own end zone. And subsequently, the Bobcats gets two first downs, train the clock, and win the game. Are you punting there if you're Aaron Best? I remember listening to Aaron Best talk about it, and he was pretty convinced that he was going to punt it. And he talked so fast at the end of that game, I was having trouble keeping up to him. I think he was pretty <laughs> uncomfortable talking about it, actually. Uh, he was mad. Uh, I don't think you punt right there. Uh, because, you know, the Montana State's going to get some first downs, it's either you got to go score. Even if you give a fourth down right there, you know, you give it your best. It's either you got to, you got to go, right? Yeah. I mean, with the way that MSU was like having success running the ball and eating the clock up, I know that if you don't get that fourth down, the game's over, but I think punting the ball, the game's pretty much over there. I was pretty surprised that they punted it, even though it was been extremely risky for a fourth down. It, I think it was kind of a kind of just a admittance that they were beaten in in some ways. Like it just kind of mm. like I don't know. Just it, it, there was no desperation there. They just kind of like did like the safe thing, knowing that you're probably gonna lose, and then they lost. I don't know. Maybe there's a his soul was taken at that point. To borrow a choteism. I think best to say if they were like after twenty, they would have gone for it. They're screwed either way. Like, yeah. <laughs> any side, any anything on your side of the field, I mean, the Bobcats are going to end up scoring probably. I don't know. Hell of a play there. by Valdez. What's that? One of the, I said that was a hell of a play by Valdez. Yeah. That was one of the best plays of the game. It was. Yeah. He was, he's athletic, man. He, uh, I mean, I think Eastern let, let him through. I think that's part of that play, play that they had there, but, uh, you know, he didn't get through the line of scrimmage fast enough. It was a little bit bottled up on that side. He was able to track him down. Great play. Seabass. <laughs> That's right. 
Then the other, so then uh, there are a couple of things I want to talk about if we're talking situational things. <laughs> we have two first and goals, right? That end up with zero points or two red zone trips and a zero point. <laughs> and I'm trying to think through the, the, uh, what happened. We had the one that was first and goal. And then we threw a fade, a jump ball to Jaden Smith, who didn't come down with it. Um, underthrown ball. Call. That was, that was a good call. I thought it was a good call. I'm okay with that call. It wasn't a gr- great, greatly thrown ball, but I think Smith was able to get his hands on it, but he still didn't come down with it. Then the next play, I think was a rollout, and they tried to hit Derek Snell on a corner end mm-hmm. zone route. And pretty good throw, I think. I think just the defender was actually in a really good position on that one, was able to knock it away. That one I was okay with too. And then, but the third down, I think, is where they did the RPO and everyone went right. And McKay gave it to Afonso and he was like tackled for like four yard loss. I think that was the third play of that series. And then we ended up kicking a, f- or a field goal attempt and missing it. And I don't. Some would argue that that's not putting him. Stone's in a good place right there because that's a tough angle, a short field goal, a chip shot, but it's, you know, really you know, right to left kick right there. Yeah. I mean, it's not an easy kick, but man, it's a, it's a D1 kicker and it's, like, it's it. on the six yard line. It's a 20. Yeah. What is, is it? 17 yards, like it. a 20, 24, yeah, 23 yard field goal or something yeah. like that. 27. You got to be able to make that. So 27. I didn't mind the. Play call on uh, people are kind of roasting house right for that. I don't mind any of those play calls. The first one I think was a poorly thrown ball, the second one just has great defense, and the third one I think McKay should have kept it and rolled back to his left, and he would have either been able to run it in or found a tight end dragging across. I think he made the yeah. wrong read in handing it to Afonso. So I don't necessarily think it was a bad yeah. play call. Where do, you, where do you stand on that? I think you run it on the first down, you try Jaden Smith on the third. And then I, or excuse me, on the second down, I think I, I that that's all I, the thoughts I have on that first and second. I mean, I don't, it, I don't know what you do on third. It depends be, on what the time and situation yeah. is at that point. So it could be a situation of just trying to get too cute with it. You ran the ball all the way down there and you try and throw it two stage times. So I, I see where people could be criticizing that, but uh, it's just execution more than anything. No, another thought I thought I, I had on that was. We always had such good plays last in, in the 2019 uh, down in the red zone. Just like unique plays, like leak outs here and True. misdirections. I don't know why we didn't go back and look at some of those in kind of the uh, Isaiah Fonze Tim Tebow thing where he runs it up to the line of scrimmage and jump passes it to a, a big fat declared eligible tackle. <laughs> Something, right? I mean, that's the time to pull it out. It's at the end of the season. Yeah. It's a game of huge consequence. There's some. I mean, there's got to be some creative stuff over there that we could think of rather than run those plays. And then the other one was, I remember how it ended. It was a bad, badly thrown slant to McCutcheon that wasn't even catchable. I think the previous one was Mm-mm. a slant to Patterson, Nate which Stewart. wasn't particularly catchable. I don't remember the first two plays of that series. Nate Stewart. Okay. So then that was the last two plays. Do you remember the first two were in that one? I'm just kind of curious. We're getting deep into this, but. No, I don't I remember. remember either. I don't, I don't. What do you think? I guess that the call going for it on a fourth down in that situation, instead of kicking a field goal. What did Glessner's miss from the previous time factor into that decision to not kick it? I think I wrote down in my game notes that I like that decision to go for it. So it felt right at that time. It felt like a field goal didn't do much for the Bobcats. Yeah. Which turned out to be wrong. Uh, and it, this game would end up being low scoring. So I think field goals would have been welcome at any point during the game. But it, he didn't want to trade field goals for touchdowns. And that's what would no. have, the worry would have been for sure. So I'm okay with going with it too. That was just a, I think McCutcheon beat his guy enough, but that was a bad throw. McKay, for having a pretty good game, also had some pretty bad throws in this game. Yeah, he still misses a couple that you're like kind of head scratchers. He puts that one on McCutcheon. That's the score. Gene Smith, if he he puts that a little higher, it's where Gene Smith has to reach over the defender. That's the score. So, and I feel like he's thrown high to Gene Smith all year. Like a 50-yard bomb. What's that? Well, I said I feel like he's thrown high to Gene Smith all year too, (laughs) which is pretty impressive to do. (laughs) And he didn't on this one though. But then he throws a beautiful pass down the sideline 
a 50 yard bomb to McCutcheon. McCutcheon had a, also one of the best plays of the entire season on his touchdown. Man, he went Just like a beast man mode out on there. that. <laughs> He's so good hey. at adjusting to the ball in flight. It's it is amazing. And then the, that what McKay, happened after it? Oh, you gotta think McKay like actually underthrows him on purpose a lot of the time because of that. I think right? he does. I think he does. Yeah, I think he knows an overthrow doesn't do anything. I think he knows underthrowing it. McCutch- McCutcheon's going to win that 10, 10 times out of 10, basically. <laughs> Either that or it'll, it'll go incomplete because uh, there's no way the defender's going to get it. But yeah, I think I think that probably does factor into it. All right, Thorny. Hey, the only other thought on this game after doing two episodes now on Eastern Washington is something I want to ask you. What does this game mean for Matt McKay? I think it puts him in a good spot. I think it's it, uh, something to build upon. He he did turn it over a couple times, too, and they were both pretty gnarly turnovers. One of them was just a fluke kind of bad handoff. The other one was, was a pretty – that was like a Daenerys McGee-like interception. Do you remember McGee would do that kind of stuff where he'd hold on to the ball too long and he wouldn't throw it away and he'd try to make something happen and he'd throw an interception? I feel like they kind of did that a little bit on that one interception. But overall, I think he's got to be feeling pretty good about it. He made some clutch throws. He made some big plays. He threw him for more yards than Eric Berrier. Um, I think he's got something to build on. He still he still has some room to grow, but I think uh, I think he's played a lot better than he had been playing. I actually I wanted like to ask I you agree. a question about Matt McKay, and I wasn't sure if I was going to. <laughs> and this might be a heavy question, and you can certainly say that the answer can certainly be, I don't know. Do you think Matt McKay can win us a national championship? Oh, man. Too early. Too early. Got to get to November. Yeah. Yep. And that's a perfectly fine answer. I mean, I don't know if I know one way or the other. He's. I think he has to play better, but I think he can. But if he's playing like he is now, I'm not sure we can. I want to see how his fuse is burning in December. Yeah. Yeah, we'll There's see. Some crazy confidence you can gain in the playoffs that just rockets you. I think there's, there's there's cases of that every year. That's true. All right, man. Well, that was a lot of talk on Eastern Washington over two podcasts, like I said. So if you if you wanted more talk on Eastern Washington, I'd encourage you, listener, to go back and listen to the R and R after dark. That's where Ryan and I give our quick reaction to the game. Let's transition, Thorny, into Idaho, a game of significant consequence coming to Bozeman, Montana, a sold-out crowd. I want to say, you know, my aunt uh, retracted just a little bit, pumped the brakes just a little bit. My aunt Tracy, I love her dearly. She she contacted me. She said, I just listened to your episode. One thing you should mention is the fans. The fans at Eastern Washington, the Bobcats traveled well. And Coach Vegan talked about that today, too. I just give big props to the fans. You have shown up everywhere we've gone on the road, and now you're selling out the last game. You've sold out the entire six-game homestand at Montana State. Bravo to the Cats. That's right. I think uh, Leon Costello said that's the first time it's ever happened, or it was a big yeah. And yeah, was it ever? Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, every game has been like nineteen thousand strong. It's been it's been impressive to see. Obviously, Cats being good big part of that, but also not having football in two years has got to play a factor into it too. Those yeah. two com- combined, got to love it. Got to love the support. I know we were impressed when we were there. All right, so let's talk about Idaho. Idaho Vandals, man. I don't know what to make of the Idaho oh, Vandals. Man. I'm also having, I, I'm having a hard time keeping track of who's the quarterback at the moment. Do you have, do you got that over there? I know they've been running Zach Borish, which is basically a running quarterback who, Throws even less than Troy did when he was quarterback. I think they got someone See, I healthy. It was though. Mike Beaudry was their quarterback. Is right Beaudry now, back? I don't. I, he was in. He was know. out. He was hurt. I, I don't know. CJ Jordan was their guy for a while. So who who do you think starting? I guess do you know the answer? Beaudry. Beaudry. I think the senior. Yeah. Okay. So he must be back then because I think he was out for the Grizz game. Either that or I don't know because I saw a lot of Zach Borish. Maybe that was an. Maybe that was a game plan for Idaho against the Grizz to try and. Um, Bobcat the Grizz, if you will. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're hard to get a read on, man. They're pretty decent run of the ball. That is definitely their strength. Yeah. They're decent at stopping the run. Not great, but they're middle of the road. 
it's a game that I'm more concerned just about the trap aspect of it than I am about anything else. What do you, what do you think about that? After the biggest win that we've been talking about since last year at best, if not before that, going back about 10 years, is there an opportunity for a letdown here? For fans, yes. I don't think for our team. I think Coach Vegan has these guys laser-focused every week. That was a huge emphasis in the presser today. And someone asked him, it's like, how does this not become a trap game? And Coach Vegan just looked the guy right in the eye and goes, just talk about Idaho. That's all we do. We talk about Idaho this week. That's it. We don't talk about anything else. It's Idaho. Coach Banks talked about that to Colton Duanas. We got a big game coming up. We've told the guys, this is a big game. They got studs on the defensive line. They got three running backs that can run it down your throat. This is a big game. They have the ingredients to come in here and beat us. We're going to talk about Idaho. I think for cap fans, the trap scenario is just something that we talk about. That's a media concoction. It's on the it's fodder on the boards. I don't know how much it is for these players. I think they got their full attention. You might be right on that. I did like how Freddie Banks talked about uh, what did he tell the seniors? Like, no offense, guys, but you know we're going to celebrate this some other time. Or he said like, screw you or something <laughs> like that. Screw your senior day. Yes. He's like, we're going to honor you day. in a different way. Basically, like we're going to go d- make a deep playoff run. We'll celebrate your senior accomplishments then. <laughs> Actually, I don't know yeah. how I felt about that. I liked it overall, I guess. But uh, it was interesting to hear, hear him say that. And you know he, that that means he is absolutely focused on winning. He doesn't care about any distractions, any other cool things going on like that. He's like, hey, we're here to beat Idaho, and they're a good team, and we're going to focus on them. Yeah, Idaho is a tough one to get a beat on. I mean, they have had their ups and downs. A lo- I mean, talk about a roller coaster of a team, right? We've heard of team chemistry things, Paul Petrino being on the hot seat. Then they go out and beat Southern Utah, basically doubling them up last week. So that's got to feel good. Now they got a chance to come into Bobcat Stadium and take down the number three team. Are they going to be excited about that? Are they just going to be ho-hum? Who knows, right? I mean, the Grizzlies really took them to the woodshed. Should we do the same? You, you would think, although we struggled with Idaho State until... There is a little bit of like, you know, we could play down. Maybe they have, maybe we struggle with their run game. I'm not sure. I don't know. You know, the, the things I think Idaho got going for them, they're big. They're big and nasty. They're big and physical. They're not explosive like fast, but they're big and strong. Like their defensive line, they got a guy uh, who's like, uh, his name is Noah Ellis. He's number 99. He's 6'4", 367 pounds. He had offers from basically every Division One school you could think of, including Alabama, Notre Dame. But he's a he's a legacy. His dad is the de- defensive line coach. His brothers play. He has one brother playing as a uh, linebacker right now. And you look at it, the guy, you're like, that guy does not belong in the Big Sky Conference. They got a couple of those guys where you just look at them. And they're like, damn, those guys are just men. They're just big dudes. Yeah, they still they're have someone like core. a like a. FBS type talent on the team that was recruited back when they were yeah. FBS. I think they still have like some seniors hanging out there yeah. for sure. So, I mean, Trey Walker is another, another guy who their number eight junior who's, uh, you know, all conference, all American, just stud. He's going to be meeting Infante in the hole a couple times. So it's like their strength versus our strength, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, anyways. Yeah, yeah. You look at that, and their their running game does concern me, and it does kind of it's kind of a bummer this late in the season to be playing a team like that who's going to physically beat you up because the cats are getting a little nicked up. They don't got anything serious right now, but they they have some minor injuries. Everyone does at this time of year, but like we talked yeah. about, one of the biggest things going for the Bobcats is our health, and we're going to play a team that's going to come into Bozeman looking just to punch us around. And they got some big guys. They got some punishing running backs, some big physical running backs who are going to punish our d- defense. And they're going to be loads to bring down. And we don't want to give up six touchdowns to Rayshon Johnson or Roshan. I think it's Roshan Johnson. Or I think he's a pretty big running back too. So we, we just got to. I was I was actually listening to the Tubs of the Clubs podcast a little bit about their recap of the Southern Utah game. I guess his longest run of the game was twenty yards. So. He had 175 yards and six touchdowns, and as long as 20. So that means he's going like every time he gets the ball, he's getting like eight yards and just mowing people mm. over. And I don't want to see that in Bozeman. Definitely don't want to see that. If but if you switch over to their defense, though, they are dead last in conference only scat stats in scoring defense. 
which is a little surprising. I decided to go, uh, use conference-only stats when looking at Idaho because they have two FPS games on their schedule. They are tied with Cal Poly. Both teams have given up 229 points in their six conference games. <laughs> and in fact, it looks like it, ha- it looks identical across the board to the point of, is that an error? Is the Big Sky tallying that wrong? They both can't give up 30 touchdowns, ex- exactly 30 field goals, exactly 29 extra points, and exactly two or one two-point two conversion. Those are identical. That can't be right. (laughs) (laughs) Copy. (laughs) Control C. (laughs) Control V. You know, I think the thing that's going to differentiate us is like we do. They don't have, they don't fly to the ball. They're a boomer bust kind of program right now. The the times I've, I've watched Idaho, they're looking for the big play. They feed off of it, but they're not rallying to the ball. They don't play complete ball. No, not many teams do like we do, though. And Idaho has a tendency this year to basically, if things start going sideways, they're, you know, they're not, they're not a team that's going like, to really fight to the end. They've kind of, they're all frustrated, I think, with their lack of success. I think they're, the Idaho guys talk about internal conflict between the team and like, have they given up on, Petrino as a coach, I think if you can get them down, you can keep them down, but we'll just kind of, you know, they're going to come out fired up. They're going to come out ready to roll for sure. So, I mean, that's going to be one of the keys of the game is um, jumping out a little bit early on them. We can't have a slow start against these guys. Yeah. All right, 30. I don't have much more on Idaho. No, I guess I really don't either. I mean, big game. I don't expect like a blow up by any means, but the dream situation for me is obviously we we are up enough in the third quarter to be able to pull some starters out and keep guys healthy. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but that's my dream scenario. But yeah, you just got to get out with the win and then, you know, put all the chips on the table for, for Cat Grizz in two weeks. I think it made a comment on, on the Bobcat board. If we win, we should play Money Money like right away. <laughs> just get the crowd pumped up for it. <laughs> After the Idaho game, yeah, <laughs> why not? Why not? All right, hey man, let's lean into those golden coolie questions and then uh, let's wrap this thing up. All right, okay, I'm gonna go off Bobcat Nation here. Kenneth, no, no <laughs> Kenneth Noisewater, what's that from Thorny? I golden don't remember. Year. I think we've looked it up before, and I, I can't remember. Yeah, it's a movie reference, anyways. South Dakota State has now played 18 games in the last nine months. Sam Houston State has played 17. If they're going, if they're going to go back to a championship game, South Dakota State will have played 22 games in 10 months. How many? How much do you think this will affect them over the next month? This you an advantage? I'll let you answer that. You know, it's hard to know. I, I haven't been following them to see if injuries are a factor in their performance. I know that they they lost their good quarterback like the week before the championship game or during the championship game in the spring. So I think they've had a little bit of struggles at quarterback because of that. But honestly, I don't think that's going to be a huge factor. At this point, I think everyone's kind of equally beat up. Maybe they would have been more beat up in the middle of the season, and maybe that's why they, they dropped a couple games. But I think at this point, I think everyone's kind of on on uh, equal water, equal water, equal terms, whatever. Uh, everyone's about the same boat uh, of injuries. So I don't know if it gives anyone an advantage this late in the year when everyone's already played this many games. I'm not sure it gives anyone a real advantage. I think it kind of does. Uh, I mean, it's just, I, I look at that amount of games. Montana State hasn't played that amount of games. This is wear and tear. I don't know. Playing almost 20 games in a year. In a calendar year, that's that's significant. Yeah, so. yeah maybe. All right. Uh, good question. Let's go on to Katsaras. He says, are we becoming NDSU 2.0? What's the plan when Coach Vegan was hired? Or are we just ourselves with everything coming into place? You take that one. Are we becoming NDSU 2.0? I would like to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think. I hope so. I mean, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a bad. The more and more we go into the season and the and like this win at uh, Eastern was very telling to me. I think 
it's almost like like Coach Vegan has this sauce, right? He doesn't come across like the guy like you said last week. Coach Vegan eats vanilla ice cream. <laughs> He's just very vanilla a lot of time. But the things he says when you listen to Coach Vegan, they're very calculated, and they sound like the exact thing you would hear from a championship team. Almost, I was thinking about this in my head, almost like maybe like a Coach Saban, but I don't feel like Vegan is like a a prick like Saban is. But he knows what it takes. And Freddie Banks knows what it takes. Taylor Housewright probably knows what it takes. Just that culture of, like, like when you listen to Freddie Banks today talking on Culture's show, and what you mentioned earlier, how we were talking about like celebrating the seniors, like later on, they just know what it's going to take. They just like, okay, we got a lot of football we got to play. I don't know. What do you think, Thorny? I mean, it's it's too early to tell. I can see, you know, like you said, you call it the sauce formula blueprint, however you want to say it. I think he knows what it takes. I haven't seen much from him in terms of like, uh, you know, maybe that's just not something that, that exists in the public eye, uh, public eye of him like molding it into that right now. Like that kind of discipline and execution, and all that stuff that North Dakota State's known for. I haven't seen him preaching that necessarily, but, you know, the the, the team is playing in, in that kind of mold and the team is playing very consistent. I think that's the biggest thing he's he's brought right now is consistency. Are we on the way to be North Dakota State 2.0? I don't know. I, like it always comes back to do you try to out bison the bison? I don't know if I want to go down that road necessarily, but um, I don't know if that was the plan when he was hired either. I just know that uh, everything I'm seeing, I, I'm liking. I know he knows what it takes to win, and he's passing that off, and I'm loving it. All right, Bobcat one two three says, "Why didn't we see Tommy Millar?" It's a great was question. Was it help? Yeah, was it help to get McKay back in the groove? I mean that that actually that's actually a really good point because I was actually wondering like why didn't we see Tommy like a game that running the ball was the way to win the game and Afonso was getting so much work it would have been nice to see Mulat come in there and spell him you know he would have come in and be able to been able to have success I know he would have but that is a good point about uh, trying to boost. McKay's confidence, keeping him, keeping his uh, confidence up and his rhythm up too. Like you take him out to run a lot. We've talked about that. How much does that affect McKay? That could be why he wasn't brought out just be, uh, to keep it going. And McKay is playing well enough that I think you, you just keep, keep riding him there. And, you know, I don't know. I would have liked to see him a lot personally. That's all I got to say. Yeah, that was something we talked about uh, privately. Uh, Bobcat123 had a secondary question. He says, uh, can Afonso. You know, 30, 31 times he was given the ball. Can he sustain that production deep into the playoffs? I don't think so. That's a that's a big uh, concern. I actually posed that question on Bobcat Nation. There's a, quite a bit of chatter about it. Uh, I remember uh, Tomcat saying, "You know, well, that's what it took to get the game to get the game in the hand." And I agree, but I just don't think that's. Uh, I really don't think that's. You know, sustainable to go into the playoffs. I really don't. It's something of good concern for sure for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, but maybe he's just the kind of guy who can take it. Like if you actually went back and took all the carries he's had from this year and like averaged it out, like does he have that ridiculous amount of carries? I mean, he's been taken out in the third quarter in a bunch of games. Yeah. So can he have a few 30 carry games at the end of the season after he's been kind of a half workload all year? I don't know. I don't know. He seems like the guy who's built to do it if anyone's going to be able to do it. Yeah. All right. Last one on from Bobcat Nation from Teton Cat. We left at least 20 points on the field. Kickoff return, pick six, two field goals. If we scored on those, does Eastern Washington attack more? And the game is a shootout instead of a defensive battle. It's a great question. I don't know the answer. I know that uh, you and I were both worried about like, all right, this is this is Eric Berrier time. Like when they were down, and he's he's going to get the ball last. He's going to come down and score because that's just what they do at Eastern Washington. That's what Eric Berrier does. He just makes plays when they need to. That's the whole program is built about making the big play when you need the big play. And 
you know, if, if the Bobcats were up more and given them more opportunities to score, it could have turned into that. But the result could have ended up being exactly the same in a three-point win, 35-32 or 23-20. I think the result would have been pretty similar, but I think absolutely Eastern has to, you know, start throwing the ball more if they're, if they're down bigger, for sure. I just, I don't know how much it would have affected the outcome. See, I don't know. I think Eastern has one offense, and that's just gas. So, I, for Teton, question right here. I don't. I don't think this affected at all. I think they were going. I think Eastern was going to try to do what Eastern tries to do, regardless. It's a good point. It does change your mindset when you know you need two touchdowns, but probably doesn't change the play calling all that much. Like you're right. That's yeah. just that's just what they do. They're going to go full full throttle, uh, aggressive, nonstop the entire game. All right. Hey, did we have any uh, Golden Cooley questions on Twitter? No, I never put it out to Twitter t- today due to All my right. actual so, legitimate work schedule for one. So. All right. <laughs> so I think I got a winner. Uh, the one from Tommy Malott and the one about the, uh, Isaiah Fonse running it 31 times. That's Bobcat123. I know those are good questions. And the reason why I picked that one is because those are the ones we talked about privately uh, amongst you and I and our good buddy Shane. So. Bobcat123, good question, buddy. I'll send you a golden coolie. Woo! Yeah! All right. Thank you for the question, and congratulations. All right. That's all the golden coolie questions you got, bud. That's all the questions. Uh, anything else you want to talk about here? Nope. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, I'm hoping everyone's still reveling in the victory in the same way that we are. Such a huge win. So awesome for the program. So excited to see what we can do against Idaho. You can find us on Twitter, our, our cat cast. You can find us on bobcatnation.com under our recurring golden coolie questions thread, or just the simple RNR cat cast thread. You can find us on the web, our If you don't like all that stuff, there's also email our at gmail.com. Thanks again to Jeremiah Johnson for being our thanks sponsor. And let's get out of here with a go cats. Go cats. Go cats. Go cats.